Good morning, Forest Park. It's great to see you guys today. We are finishing up a series we started a few weeks ago called Red Flag Relationships. If you have not been with us or you um, maybe this first time at Forest Park, uh, encourage you to please go by our YouTube channel, check out parts one, two, and three. We cover a lot of other information in those parts that I think you'll find helpful, encouraging, and challenging at the same time. I want to jump into uh, this series today, wrap it up. We're going to begin a new series next week, and I'll let you know more about that when we get to the end of today's message. You know, when you look back at relationships that ended ugly, and if we went around this room this morning and said, hey, tell me, have you ever had a relationship in your life that ended ugly, whether it was a dating relationship, a marriage, a business partnership, etc.? I would say everybody in this room has at least one relationship that ended on a bad note. More than likely, if we were honest, we would say, you know, looking back at it, there were some red flags. There were some warning signs. There were some things that were not right within that relationship. But when you were in the situation, either you didn't know what to call those behaviors, those bad situations that were in the relationship, or you were receiving enough pleasure in the moment that you just ignored them. And you were hopeful it would take care of itself, that the relationship would fix itself as you got further into it. So that's what this series is about. It's about saying, okay, wait a second. What, what if we could somehow notice the red flags and respond appropriately when those red flags are raised within the relationship? What if we could break off the relationship, unhitch ourselves from the partnership, move on to other friends before the pain, before the bankruptcy, before the divorce? What if we could learn to recognize the warning signs and respond? So during this series, we are identifying four red flags to which we had better pay attention. Because if these flags are present, even if one is present within any relationship, you got to deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, eventually it will deal with you. Now, before we jump into part four, let's take a look at two passages that are serving somewhat as a foundation for everything we're saying. The first one comes from Proverbs 6, 27 and 28. Can a man scoop fire into his lap and his clothes not get burned? If a man walks on hot coals, don't his feet get burned? Now, the point of that is you can't obviously bring fire close to you and expect not to get hurt. If you take your shoes off and walk on hot coals, you're, you're going to get hurt too. So same thing with people. If you bring the wrong people really close to you, if you bring in the wrong people into the most intimate part of your life and hit yourself to them, partner yourself to them, if that person, okay, has some behavior, some actions, a character that is not good, how do you think you're going to be able to walk down the aisle with this person, align yourself with this person, sign on the dotted line with this person, and not get hurt? Eventually you will. The other passage of Scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 15. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Same thing. Even if you have good character, if you get into an intimate relationship with someone who has very poor character, if something doesn't change, that person is going to eventually rub off on you and affect you, affect your life, affect your direction, etc. So that's, that's kind of two passages that we've kind of used as a foundation in this series. All right, let's get to the four flags that we are covering in this series. I'm going to review the first three very quickly so we can get to the fourth one in case some of you uh, were not with us. The fourth flag, we're, we're kind of counting them down, four, three, two, one. So the fourth one that we gave to you the first week 
week, is they emotionally use you. This was all about emotionally unhealthy people, how we align ourselves sometimes with people who uh, manipulate our emotions, and it's, it's, we got into that. It was very helpful, had a lot of great conversation following that message. Then two weeks ago, we got into number three, which is they attempt to control you. A lot of good, helpful stuff again, and we looked at a familiar passage of Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount, and we opened up that particular passage, I think, in a whole new way. A lot of people walked out that day going, wow, I had never seen that scripture that way, never had considered that particular angle that you gave in the Sermon on the Mount. And then last week, we gave you this second, number two red flag, and that is they refuse to resolve conflict with you. They won't go there with you. They won't deal with the the break in the relationship. They don't want to talk about it. And we said most often when someone doesn't want to resolve conflict with you, somehow, some way, they are benefiting from the tension. They're benefiting from the conflict. That's the reason they want to leave the conflict there. They're getting some kind of benefit from it. All right, so those are the three red flags that we've given you so far. And today, we're going to wrap it up by giving you the number one red flag that you've got to pay very careful attention to. And this one's going to take a lot of explaining, all right, because it's not something that a lot of us are familiar with, but we have experienced it, all right? Number one red flag is they gaslight you. Let's get into this. In May 1944, an American psychological thriller was released in theaters. The movie follows a young woman after her wealthy aunt is murdered. The aunt leaves lavish jewelry for this young woman to inherit, but the young woman must wait before the jewels become hers because when her aunt dies and leaves them to her, she's only 14 years old. So the movie kind of moves on with her life, and then several years later, this young woman who is now older meets a charismatic man, and after a two-week whirlwind romance, they marry Little does she know the man who swept her off her feet and is now her husband is the one who killed her aunt years earlier. The man married her to get to the jewels. And the only way he can have the jewels to himself is to convince the young woman she's crazy. Get her committed to a psychiatric hospital, thus becoming power of attorney. And then he has the control over all the jewels. So the husband slowly manipulates his young wife into believing she is descending into madness. And he uses a variety of tactics and the most famous being dimming the gaslights in her home. And when she notices it and calls attention to it, he says the lights are not dim. Nobody has affected the lights. Nobody's turned them down. And she slowly begins to think something's wrong with her and she is seeing the atmosphere incorrectly and her experiences are not based in reality and she begins to form this idea that she's crazy. Well, this form of psychological manipulation eventually became known as gaslighting. And the term gaslighting didn't catch on really into the early 2010s and now we hear more and more about it. In fact, if you read widely or you've come across any kind of therapy or maybe you've gone to therapy or counseling, you'll hear psychologists, counselors refer to gaslighting and some of you are familiar with it, others of you are not familiar with it. Well, why is it so well known today or much more well known than it ever has been before? Because this tactic continues to be used today by manipulators to slowly convince people their experiences cannot be trusted. And there are some of you sitting in this room, I would guess, you are in a relationship with someone who does this, who uses this tactic on you. You don't realize that they're doing it because it's very subtle and sometimes it's unrecognizable. 
but the pain of it is well felt. It's felt very acutely. Manipulators don't use gaslights, but rather a variety of different, more modern ways. Now, let's define psychological gaslighting. And before we do, I want to say that I'm using a lot of material and kind of sharing with you some things that I've learned from a mentor of mine, Dr. Henry Cloud. He's taught me more than I can ever teach you and uh, giving credit where credit is due. Dr. Cloud knows more than I ever will. So I've learned from him, I learned from others, and I, I pass them on to you. And he's helped me so much in the understanding of what gaslighting is and looking at my own life and trying my best not to do it to other people and not allow other people to do it to me. Let's define what gaslighting is. Gaslighting is a psychological manipulation that causes someone to question reality. Ultimately, it is an attempt made by one person to dominate, control, and humiliate another person. And it happens more often than you think, and it's very effective. And when it succeeds, the one who has been gaslighted is often left shattered, confused, and reeling in emotional pain. Now, why is gaslighting so destructive? Because, now follow this, it uses one of your biggest assets in life against you. And one of your biggest assets, one of your biggest strengths, if you will, is your ability to gauge reality. Every single minute of every single day, we are attempting to figure out what is real, what is not, what can be trusted, what can't be trusted, how we must protect ourselves from this person or that person or this situation or that situation. When you get into your car, here's an example, or your truck, you know, every morning and you fire up the engine. You trust your ability to know whether the car or truck is safe to drive. If everything sounds normal and there are no lights on and there's no sound coming from under the hood and you see no warning lights flashing, you trust that you are safe to drive this vehicle and you go on down the road. But imagine getting into your car, starting the engine, and something doesn't sound right. You see several warning lights on and you hear a noise coming from under the hood you've never heard before. So you you call a tow truck and you say, something's not right with my car and I'm concerned to drive it to work. So it gets towed to a mechanic. The mechanic takes one look at it and says, there's nothing wrong with your car. He starts it. He can't hear the noise, but you do. He can't see the lights on, but you do. He drives it around the block and it seems absolutely fine to him. Then he says, you know, a lot of women think their car is messing up when it really isn't. It's probably just cold. You're mistaken. Well, after punching him in the mouth, you would probably question your experience and you would wonder, what's wrong with me? Did I hear the car making sounds? Were the warning lights on or am I losing it? That's a form of gaslighting. Someone trying to convince you your reality isn't reality. You're mistaken. You're misinformed. Now, here's why it's so effective. To assess reality, we must be open to the world around us and that the world around us is providing for us accurate information so we can create mental maps so therefore we know what to do, where to go. And based on the information we receive, we respond this way or we respond that way. Let me make it real simple. Two-year-old is running through the house. He or she falls thump. You hear the fall, the parent looks over, grandparent looks over, and says to the child, you're okay? 
come on, get up, you're fine. What happens typically? The child bounces up and is fine. Keeps playing. Same thing happens the next day. The parent responds differently. The parent or grandparent overreacts and says, oh my gosh, are you okay? Are you hurt? Come see me. Are you sure you're all right? What typically happens? Crying, they're hurt, you know, they're dying. The child is assessing the situation based on the information the parent is giving them. And the child responds to the information based on what the parent does. We are built to gauge reality based on our experience of the world around us. And we take in all the data possible. And within thousandths of a second, we make decisions. This is real. This is not real. This is safe. This is dangerous. This is true. This is false. And the people closest to us contribute to the data. And we are constantly collecting and analyzing information and determining what's true and determining what can be trusted. And we hold on to those opinions until new data comes in and confirms or contradicts our experience. Now, let me make this really simple. I want you to imagine you're describing a childhood memory to your best friend. And you say, you know, our family's favorite restaurant is this little blue seafood restaurant down by the river. And your mother overhears the conversation you're having with your friend, and your mother says, uh, no, that was green, not blue. And you say, no, I remember it well. It was a blue restaurant down by the river. And she says, no, you're mistaken. It was a green restaurant. I've been there many times. And you think to yourself, well, you know, my mom has been there more times than I have, and it, I was a little kid the last time I was there, so maybe the restaurant is green. So the next time you tell the story, you change it to a green restaurant. A year or so later, you're, you're looking through old family pictures, and you notice a picture of your family standing outside that restaurant. And sure enough, the restaurant's blue. You were correct, your memory was right, and your mother's memory was wrong. No big deal, right? Your mother was confused. People get confused at times. We recollect different things. We accidentally, you know, remember things a little differently than somebody else. No big deal. But what if... You take the photo to your mom, and you say, Mom, here, here's, here's a photo I found. Look, the restaurant is blue. And she looks at the photo, and she says to you, of course it is. It's always been blue. And you say, well, don't you remember a year or so ago we were talking to my friend Becky, and I told her it was blue, and you said it was green, and we had a little scuffle over who was right and who was wrong. And, and she says to you, we never had that discussion. I don't even remember having that conversation with you. You must have had that conversation with somebody else. How would you feel in that moment? Now, let's change the details and set up a different situation, one that most of us have experienced at least once, twice, or a hundred times. You get into a discussion with your wife. You ever had a discussion with your wife? You ever had a discussion with your husband? You know what I'm saying? You know, Christians don't argue, right? We just have discussions. And discussion gets a little heated. And she says a few hurtful things to you during the conversation. And the argument ends. And you go into your room and she goes into a separate room. And later, after all the emotions deflate, you guys come together and you say to her, honey, why did you say what you said to me? That really hurt. And she responds with, I didn't say anything that hurt you. And you say, well, that hurt. 
you're fine. You're not hurt. I don't know what your problem is. Why do you have to be so sensitive? I never said the house was green. I said it was blue. You see, the first illustration about the blue or green house is easy to see the confusion and the obvious disagreement and confusion in that conversation. It's not so easy to see it in the second one. Because did she say hurtful things to her husband? Or is her husband being too sensitive? You see, most gaslighting is subtle and often difficult to identify when it's happening, hard to recognize. And we do it with one another all the time. And we do it without even realizing we're doing it. Let me tighten it up in the room a little bit. Parents, we do this with our kids. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, I have three kids, they're all adults now, and I did this over and over and over and didn't think about it. I wish I would have known then what I know now, but I did it over and over. We, we do this all the time. I mean, we're not doing it from a bad place. We're not doing it trying to manipulate, but it's so embedded into the way we interact with one another, we gaslight one another and not even realize it. We say things like this to our kids. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. Why are you crying? I'll give you something to cry about. We immediately minimize the emotions of our kids, invalidate what they're experiencing, and do our absolute best to give them a different experience than what they're having. They're hurting, and we say, no, you're not. They, they feel a certain way, and we say, stop it. Constantly trying to switch out their reality for a new reality. Gaslighting happens over and over. It's basically any time one person says to another person, what you're experiencing isn't real. You can't trust your judgment. What you think is happening isn't happening. Your ability to gauge reality is flawed. You're mistaken. You're confused. Your feelings are inadequate. And I'm going to tell you straight up. I've gone through many counseling sessions with people, one-on-one, -on -one, couples, my own life, and watching the way that I've interacted with people and tried to lead people. If you stay in a relationship where one person is trying to manipulate the other person through these kind of tactics, switching out reality, twisting, manipulating, minimizing emotions, invalidating experiences, eventually... One of those people will lose their ability to know what's true and what's not true, what can be trusted, what can't be trusted, what is accurate, what is not accurate. And that person becomes easily controlled. It is why people who are being gaslit need to get around other people, take a break from the person who is gaslighting them, and spend some time with other people. Why? Because we need each other to gauge reality accurately. And sometimes you need a message like this, which I can almost promise you, if you have grown up in church, you've never heard a message like this in church. And the reason why I'm bringing it is because I want to do everything I can to help us learn what it means to actually carry out the teachings of Christ, to love one another, serve one another, esteem other people, learn what it means to build people and encourage one another, not tear them down. And I see gaslighting happening within relationship after relationship, and we've got to press pause on that, and we've got to take a look in the mirror and say, am I doing that to someone, or am I allowing other people to do that to me?
Believe it or not, there's a great example of gaslighting-like behavior found in the book of Galatians. Paul the Apostle calls it out. And let me, let me set this up quickly for you and refer to it. Paul writes this letter to the Christians in the providence of Galatia because, and here's the reason he writes it, because the Judaizers were infiltrating the church and confusing young Christians. These young Christians, you know, gave their life to Christ and Paul was teaching them and sharing with them what it meant to follow Christ and what the gospel is all about. And they found incredible freedom in the message of Jesus. But the Judaizers were coming into those churches after Paul would leave. They would come in and they would say this, what Paul said is good. All that forgiveness and grace and mercy and faith, that's all good stuff. It's just not enough stuff. So we need to add to your faith this. We need to add to grace this. We need to add to forgiveness this. And then they told them they had to follow certain Jewish practices and laws. And they had to have certain days that they set up and certain fasts they had to do. And all the men had to be still circumcised. And that was a, a law that they had to follow. And it confused these young Christians. And Paul writes to these Christians and says, stop listening to these Judaizers. They're confusing you. They are trying to control you. They're trying to manipulate you. And here's the thing. You know what's true. So trust your experience. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1, chapter, verse 6. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ to follow another gospel. It is not really another gospel. Watch this. But certain people are confusing you, and they want to change the gospel of Christ. And then he says this, even if we ourselves or a heavenly angel should ever preach anything different than what we preached to you before, if anyone preaches anything different than what you know is true, let that person be accursed. That's harsh. Basically, what Paul is saying is hold on to what you know is true. Hold on to your freedom. Don't allow these people to confuse you and pull you away from what you know is true. And that's what I want to say to every single person in this room, everybody watching online. You know your experience is true. You are not crazy. You are not insane. People might try to convince you you are. They might try to twist reality and try to tell you that you're just being sensitive. You're just being difficult. You're high maintenance. But you know what's true. Don't allow people to manipulate you and pull you over here to the side. Hold on to your freedom. See, this is the reason cults are so effective. The leader twists the reality of the followers. And the followers no longer are sure what's true and what's false. And then the leader begins to tell them what's true. And the people become dependent on the leader to guide them forward. And often the leader guides them off the edge of a cliff. The first thing a cult leader will do is twist reality. Try to convince them that what they think and what they feel and what they know is right isn't right. You can't trust yourself. You don't know. Your experiences aren't true. Let me tell you what reality is. And it begins to warp and twist. All right, let me get personal. All right. 
Gaslighting is generally used by someone to talk you out of the hurt they have caused you. They hurt you, and then they'll say, you're not hurt. They manipulate you, and then they'll say, you're fine. So if you are in a relationship with someone, and you are often wounded by their actions, you are hurt by their behaviors, you are stung by their words, yet you remain with that person, there is a high chance they have either gaslighted you in the past, and you don't know what to believe, or they're gaslighting you today, and you're just confused. And they are causing you to doubt your experience. They've convinced you you're mistaken, that they haven't done anything wrong, that you're exaggerating, you're being too sensitive. And and here's what I hear often with people who are really good at gaslighting. They'll say things like this in their own way. You know, other people wouldn't have a problem like you do. Other people would be happy to be with me. Other people would be happy to have this life, but not you. You're ungrateful. You're difficult. You're selfish. And then you start thinking, am I difficult? Am I selfish? Maybe I am just, maybe I am ungrateful. Maybe I am that kind of person. When someone like this, like me, stands up here and calls it out, it's pretty easy to see. But when you're in it, it's really difficult to see. Now, here are a few symptoms of gaslighting. Say, I, I don't know. Am, am, I, am I not? I, I don't know. Here are a few symptoms. And, and this is basically what you'll experience if you have someone in your life who's gaslighting you. All right? One, you'll feel confused. You just, you think you understand what's happening, and then you're not so sure you understand what's happening. You'll be like, okay, yep, yeah, yep, that's wrong. And then you'll think, is it wrong? Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm wrong. You're just back and forth. Number two, you doubt yourself. You begin to wonder, what's wrong with me? Why am I so difficult to get along with? Third symptom, you become, you feel like a failure. You know, I just can't do anything right. I mess this up, I mess that up, I mess this up, I mess that up. You just begin to feel like a failure. And then you start to become isolated. You pull away from people and you'll say things like this. You know, I think I probably just need to stay by myself because I mess up so many relationships. You isolate yourself. Here's a big one. You apologize a lot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I said that. I'm sorry I wanted that. I'm sorry I asked for that. I'm sorry I'm so selfish. I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're always apologizing to this person. It's, it's just progressively getting worse. Number six is you defend the other person's behaviors. Someone will say to you, you know, I don't know if he should be talking to you like that. Oh, oh, you know, he's just really tired. He's been working a lot. I don't think that she ought to, you know, do that. Well, she's really a good person behind the scenes. She really is. But, but, but you find yourself doing that a lot. Friendship. You know, I don't know. It seems like you give a whole lot more than they. Well, they're really, they're in this season. Defend, defend, defend the other person because you are convinced that you're wrong. You're the failure. You're the mess up. You're the mistake. And then at the end, you just become powerless, hopeless. And you just think, I don't know. There's nothing I can do. I just, I probably should have stayed single. I probably shouldn't have a friend. 
I probably this or that. If you are being gaslighted, I want you to listen to me very carefully. This whole message is to help you, okay? I want you to hear me very carefully. Your experience is just that. It's your experience. Hold on to it. And your experience matters. And your feelings matter. And your opinion matters. And you are not crazy. If something doesn't sit right with you, pay attention to it. If something kind of is sideways at you, pay attention to it and learn from your experiences. And I put this next slide in caps because I'm yelling at you when I say this, okay? Do not exchange your experience for the experience of someone else. Hold on to what you know is true. Let me put that in a real practical illustration. If you notice a frozen lake, I know we don't do that a lot around here, but if you happen to live up north and, you know, way up, the lakes would get frozen, skate across the lakes as kids. If you notice that frozen lake and you stepped out and you put your weight on that lake and all of a sudden you heard, pow, crack, what would you do? Get off. Why? Because every sense in you Every experience, every knowledge, every piece of knowledge is saying to you, danger. Don't put your weight on this lake. If you do, it may break through and you'll fall in. But I want you to imagine you step on that ice. It cracks. The person you're with says, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's just a crack. It's no big deal. The ice is safe. What would you think about a person who continued to try and skate across it and fell in? You fool, right? It's your own fault if you fall in. Everything about you screamed, don't get on that lake. Your perception was right. Your past experience built up and told you this is not safe. You've heard of other people falling in. You knew you shouldn't have done that but you allowed someone else to manipulate the situation and convince you it was okay. What's interesting is when I set it up like that, again, it's so easy to see, but it's so difficult when we're in it because we don't think the other person's doing it to us. And it happens over and over and over again. Folks, I'm going to straight up with you. I didn't tell the first service this, so this is free. I have gaslighted people unintentionally. I'll say that. I didn't realize I was doing it until I got a little older and looked back at my kids, looked back at my wife. And I have been gaslighted. And I've been hurt. And I've hurt others. So I'm not standing here acting like you have problems with this. You, no, 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 no. There's something about us that wants to win. We, we want to change the situation so that somehow we come out on top. And it's the opposite. It is the opposite. It is the opposite of what it means to follow Jesus. It is the opposite of what it means to esteem other people higher than ourselves. It's the opposite of what it means to wash other people's feet and to love people where they are, to validate people, to encourage one another, to lift one another up. And I've had to repent over and over and over. And so I started noticing this behavior in my life. And notice that other people have done it to me. I told someone after the first service, I said, you know, one of the hardest things about a message like this for me is that in the past, you know, I've always 
believe the best about people. And I think that's a good approach to life. I don't think you should go around thinking the worst. But because I believe the best in other people, I believe what everybody told me was correct. Because they had my best interest at heart. And I've learned that isn't true. Some people are just mean. Some people are just cold. Some people are looking out for number one and, buddy, you ain't it. And they will twist and they will manipulate and they will create a new reality and want you to step into it. And the older I get, the more experienced I've become, the more I've learned, and the more I really thought deeply and watched people, the more I realize that humans often gaslight one another. And I have been guilty of it, and I have been the victim. And it's time we call these behaviors out and say, God, help us. Help us to truly love one another. Now, there are some, some tactics that gaslighters will use to manipulate and control you. Let me give them to you quickly. The first one is denying. So quick, so clear. They'll say things like this. No, I didn't. What you said hurt me. No, I, you're mistaken. I, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. No, you, you misheard. I didn't say that. I don't remember saying that. That's not true. Just flat out deny. And you're sitting there going, am I crazy? Like, did, I, did he say that? Did he not say that? Here's another one. Minimizing. It's not that big of a deal. You're exaggerating the situation. Minimize, minimize, minimize. Here's another one. Unplugging. Refuse to engage. Don't want to talk about it. I've moved on. Let the past be the past. Don't want to talk about it anymore. Stonewall. Here's a big one. Labeling. Boy, this happens. All women are like this. Why, why do men have to be like that? You know what? You and your whole family are just high maintenance. You're so hyper. You see what they're doing? Label you and all your behaviors. Because if I put you in a file, I can put you away. I can file you away. I don't have to deal with it. So Scott, what happens if I'm in a relationship like this? How, how do I begin to regain my power? Well, power returns when you realize that these tactics are designed to get you to question your reality. And when you expose those tactics, you're halfway there. When you finally just stop and say, you know what? This person is trying to manipulate me. They're trying to get me to second guess my reality. They're trying to twist my reality and I'm finished with it. You're halfway there. As soon as you realize that, you're halfway there. You regain your power when you realize this person doesn't simply have a different opinion. They are disagreeing with you to wear you down. This person doesn't just see life from a unique perspective. They might see life from a unique perspective, but their perspective causes you to question your sanity. They're not only expressing themselves, they are minimizing you, invalidating your experience, and causing you to second guess everything in your life. Gaslighting talks you out of yourself and causes you to question the people around you. And the longer you remain in that kind of relationship, the smaller life becomes. And it's like you're under a spell. Scott, how do I break the spell? How do I break it? Let me give you just some thoughts here, and we're going to pray in a moment. Number one, tune into your own experience. Trust. Trust. Listen, folks, I'm just going to talk to those of you who are 
followers of Jesus and your faith is in Christ, you have to believe. You have to believe and know that God's spirit can speak to you. And if you're in a situation and every day you pray, God, open my heart, open my eyes, help me to see what's true, what's not. If you feel like you're in a fog, make that a daily prayer. God, help me get out of this fog. I just don't even know what's real anymore. She has twisted my world so much, I don't even know what's real. He has twisted this so much. This, this friendship is just, it's just not good, but I don't know how to get out. I don't know what's true. I don't know what's not true. Speak to me and trust that the Holy Spirit can speak to you through all of that and then begin to trust what you hear, begin to trust what you know. Tune into that experience. Find that wave on the old radios. You remember you had to find the perfect place. Find that place. Tune into that. Here's another one. Talk to someone you trust. It's amazing what happens when you actually get with someone who's outside the situation and just say, hey, can I, can I tell you what's going on in my marriage? Can I tell you? Now, I don't want to talk about telling everybody everything going on in your life. I, I mean, I'm talking about a person you really trust, someone who will be honest with you. You say, can I just can I tell you what's happening in this friendship? And you lay it out, and they look at you and go, you know what? He shouldn't be like that. You know what? She's manipulating you. You, you know what? That's not normal. You know what? That's not good. All of a sudden you go, you're right, it's not. And you finally get somebody else to bring in some, some fresh air into this relationship. Here's another one. Write down your experiences. Journal how this person talks to you, what this person says about you, how this person invalidates you. Keep track of that. See if you're crazy. Check it out. You know what? <laughs> in the last week, I've been told 10 times how sensitive I am, how wrong I am. You'll be amazed at how often it happens if you just keep track of it. And the last one, we've said this over and over, is establish boundaries. Sometimes you just got to look at the person. When the person says, you're wrong, say, you know what? I'm sorry you see it that way, but I don't. This is my experience, and I'm going to trust it. I'm going to trust it. Folks, listen. Relationships are hard. They're hard. They're not easy. Man, if relationships were easy, marriages would last forever, right? If relationships were easy, friendships would last forever. If relationships were easy, politics wouldn't be as monstrous and poisonous as it is. If relationships were easy, churches wouldn't split. If relationships were easy, people would get along all the time. But they don't. They don't because relationships are hard because you put imperfect sinful people together in an intimate setting. And we have this tendency to want to win, to want to one-up each other. And we have a tendency to always want to come out on top. And sometimes we step on other people to do it. And my prayer throughout this series has been, God, open our eyes to some flags that are present. Because what happens when I sit in front of a couple or I sit in front of two people who've, who've had a friendship that fell apart or just a single person who's going through a real tough time at work or whatever... I go, hey, well, tell me what's going on. Well, you know, three years ago, and then they start just boom, flag, boom, flag, boom, flag. I should have paid attention. I should have walked out then. I should have quit then. I shouldn't have said yes. I shouldn't have done that. But I thought we could fix it. I thought it would work itself out. I thought he would change. I thought she would change. What I want to see happen is we go, you know what? Relationships are hard. 
and I want to pay attention to what's real in this relationship, change where I need to change, become a different person if I need to, and walk away from some things that eventually are going to cause me unimaginable pain if I don't deal with them. Because if we don't deal with them, they will deal with us. Let's pray. Father, as I've said, relationships are so hard, and we need wisdom. We need guidance. We need truth that will set us free. We need to be honest. And we have got so many broken relationships across our city, broken relationships across our nation. And Father, we're causing unimaginable pain, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of our children and grandchildren as they grow up. Father, we as a church, we as a city, we as a nation need to repent. Walk away from so much selfishness and so much just trying to one-up one another. Father, that's so far away from how you taught us to live. You, you taught us to love one another, to pray for one another. You taught us to esteem one another, to serve one another. You taught us to wait for one another, to care for one another. You taught us to give to one another. You taught us to lift up other people and help bear one another's burdens. That is so far away from trying to control one another, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Emotionally using one another. That's so far away from refusing to resolve conflict, as we talked about last week and today. Gaslighting people and manipulating situations. God, help us to walk away from that stuff and walk right into a place of love and service and grace and mercy and kindness and compassion. And Father, there's a person sitting in this room and they're being gaslighted right now. Give them the courage and the boldness to confront it and give them the courage and boldness to trust what's going on on the inside of themselves and trust the Holy Spirit. Your spirit can speak to them and through them and somebody might need to walk out of a relationship, walk away from a friendship, get out of a group of people that might be hurting them and abusing them and give them the courage they need to do that. Father, thank you for speaking into our lives and making the word come alive so that, Father, we don't just know it, we can walk it out. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, before you go, next week, next week, we're going to begin a new series. You know, over the last two to three years, man, it's been tough, hasn't it? I just a whole nation and all the stuff that we've had go through, the pandemic and closures and all the disappointments and sickness that we've seen and all this. And what I've noticed, what our staff has noticed is that a lot of people, and I'm not saying you, it may not be you, but a lot of people have just kind of got into a maintenance mode, just surviving. Just get up, kind of do what you got to do, come home. A lot of us have stopped dreaming a lot of us have stopped kind of thinking about what might be on the horizon and some great things that can be accomplished in us and through us. And what we want to see again, what we want to see happen is that awakened within us is this sense of faith and purpose and to look to tomorrow and actually believe for great things and watch God do great things. So we're going to start a series next week called Dream Again. Dream Again. Your dreams do not have to die you can begin to dream again and step out again and watch God do incredible things in and through your life.